anti-Semitism is on the rise according to law enforcement data and leaders in the Jewish community. On this episode, we'll take a closer look at this shocking surge in our in-depth interview with Brooke Goldstein. She's a human rights lawyer, founder and executive director of the Lawfare Project, as well as the founder and director of the Children's Rights Institute. Where we are today, unfortunately, is a very scary place because historically, you know, we've seen Jew hatred uh, rise and wane and rise and wane again. And I think right now we are definitely on an uptick. I think it's completely undeniable. There are an enormous amount of violent hate crimes targeting Jews, not just in the United States, but all over Europe and in Canada. There is a rise of Jew hatred and anti-Semitism on campuses throughout North America. Um, It is infecting academia. Welcome to Dig Life Deep with John Aiden Byrne. And that was Brooke Goldstein. More from her later. According to columnist George Flesh, Jews are the number one target in America for hate crimes in proportion to the US population. Writing earlier this year, Flesh said the recent hostage crisis at a Texas synagogue should be a red flag to alert Jewish leaders to this alarming truth. And before we get to my interview with Brooke Goldstein of the Lawfare Project, it's time for our weekly Future Shock 2.0 segment with Ira Wolf. Ira Wolf, welcome back for Future Shock 2.0. You have a popular podcast, Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization. You talk to a lot of experts in the labor markets, a lot of employers and a lot of HR people. What's the general mood out there? Yeah, thanks, John. Uh, Yeah, I'm very fortunate that, uh, like you with the podcast, you get to talk to a lot of experts out there and see what's going on so it's not just things reverberating in our heads. Uh, And the moods, I won't say dire. Uh, There's a sense of optimism if people would make the changes. But, you know, some of the topics we we recently had, we just talked with Kate Lister. Some people may be familiar with her. Uh, she's been studying remote work from the time it was called telecommuting. Uh, she's, she's got a great uh, research company. You know, she just doesn't understand why, why companies, uh, why many organizations are fighting uh, the, the move to remote work, not full time. Uh, certainly recognize that some industries can't do that, um, but at least on a partial basis, whether it's hybrid or, or remote work. And uh, and again, that's it's a, one of the reasons that there, many people can't hire people or one reason people are leaving. Um, but we've had a number of people like uh, Mita Malik uh, was just on the show uh, and we were talking about uh, the toxic work culture. And a lot of themes were that. We, we've had guests that were talking about burnout um, well-being. We've had somebody uh, from a company, an organization called the Mental Gym. Um, so again, the focus is on taking care of the people that you have, uh, creating a more positive culture um, because burnout, stress levels, we talked about this on a prior episode from the state of the workplace from Gallup, the labor market is, is in a bad place. There's just not enough people that have all the right skills and the people that we have are getting burnt out, stressed out, and they're angry and sad. And you know, 19% are miserable. 
That's not yeah. good. Our listeners can get more on Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization, your popular podcast. We keep digging for the secrets and stories of uncommon and everyday things and interesting people. I hope you're all well. I must say I really enjoyed my interview with Brooke Goldstein, who reinforced for me why there is no room for hate crimes and anti-Semitism in our society and across the globe. The surge lately in anti-Semitism Brooke describes is deeply distressing. Brooke, interestingly enough, would describe herself as pro-choice. I, as many of you already know, am on the other side of this debate. I am pro-life and anti-abortion. In any event, Brooke has a fascinating take and insight on anti-Semitism, and what she tells us is chilling. I'm your host, John Aidan Byrne. Listeners, Odeon Capital Conversations with Dick Beauvais and Matt Van Alstein of Odeon Capital Group is now a top-rated Apple podcast in North America and Europe, with yours truly. On the latest episode of Odeon Capital Conversations, learn more about the implications of the recent meeting of the BRICS countries of Brazil, Russia, India, China and South Africa. Audience Capital Conversations is up there on Apple, Google, Spotify and on all the great platforms. My guest is Brooke Goldstein. She's the founder and executive director of the Lawfare Project, which is on the front lines campaigning against and pushing back against anti-Semitism in our society. I'm your host, John Aidan Byrne. Brooke Goldstein, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I know you've been asked this uh, many times, I'm sure, but it would be interesting to get your take on it. Anti-Semitism comes up all the time in our history. There's been some awful episodes, uh, some horrific through history and, and in our ages. Where are we at today across the globe? And then more specifically, in the US and in New York, where we're going to look at in a moment. So first of all, I want to thank you for having me on and for covering this topic, because there really is a general reluctance on behalf of the mainstream media to talk about the rising pandemic of Jew hatred. And where we are today, unfortunately, is a very scary place, because historically, you know, we've seen Jew hatred Uh, rise and wane and rise and wane again. And I think right now we are definitely on an uptick. I think it's completely undeniable. There are uh, an enormous amount of violent hate crimes targeting Jews, not just in the United States, but all over Europe and in Canada. There is a rise of Jew hatred and anti-Semitism on campuses throughout North America. Um, It is infecting academia. I think a a big problem here, and and I guess we could talk about it a little bit later in the show, is the foreign funding that's coming in from places like Qatar and Saudi Arabia and China onto our campuses and what effect uh, it looks like that is having. You also have, and I see this very clearly in my cases, an attempt to purge Jews 
from the workplace, whether it's in hospitals, whether it's in the counterterrorism community, whether it's again on campuses, any person who identifies as a Jew who expresses their Zionism, which is an integral part of the Jewish identity or culture, is being pushed out of these places. And one of the things that the Lawfare Project does which I run, is provide pro bono legal counsel to Jewish persons and communities that are victims of this type of discrimination. And unfortunately, we are seeing so many cases um, of anti-Jewish discrimination. It's so troubling, John. Explain to me why we're seeing a surge and a rise at the moment. What explains it? You know, That's really the age-old question is, why does the human condition suffer from anti-Semitism? And well, I'm not a psychologist, um, I don't claim to understand particularly why we suffer from this type of hatred. It is the world's oldest hatred. The Jewish community is the world's oldest and most persecuted minority community in human history. This obsession, this Jew hatred obsession, all I can say now is that it's becoming socially acceptable once again. After World War II, after the world was just completely horrified at what it let happen and what uh, Europe did to its Jews, which resulted in a genocide of over 6 million men, women, and children, there was a you know initial shock and, and Jew hatred was not acceptable anymore in social circles, and it it died down a little bit. But now, because we have a strong Israel, because the Jewish community does not like to be a victim, because we have rebounded and we have become successful, and in every generation we rebound and we, we, again, we recover, even though we have the intergenerational trauma, and we present ourselves not as victims, Jew hatred now has become, again, socially acceptable, whether it's on the internet with memes and, and, you know, using, for example, I just saw the other day, the use of Anne Frank, Anne Frank's image uh, in, in a really derogatory way. And that's been circling around the internet. Something like that wouldn't have been tolerated. Uh, you know, 10 years ago, and now it's okay. I've, I've heard even in social circles, anti-Jewish jokes. It's, it's getting to the level um, that I think, frankly, it is time now for the Jewish community to mobilize, to stand up and push back hard against this normalization of the targeting of the Jewish community. You've told us a lot there, and you mentioned how it's infecting academia. And we saw that in past histories. Uh, you could take when Nazi Germany um the academia in Nazi Germany was was there was a, a huge anti-Semitic ideology ran right through it. But do you have any numbers on where we're at at the moment? You said it's surging. So you know, has any documented cases and and sort of what's the extent of it? Yeah, I mean, look, there are so many organizations that are tracking hate crimes. For example, ADL has come out. With statistics, I you know I don't have them right in front of me, um, but the the rise in hate crimes is so so scary. The Jewish community is the most targeted community when it comes to violent hate crimes. And I also want to mention because um, you talked about campus, what's happening right now on campus is of concern not just to the Jewish community, but I think to Americans at large because 
you said yourself, it always starts in the campus. If you want to know what the world and what politics is going to look like five, six, seven years from now, look what they're teaching on the campuses. And it's not just Jew hatred. It is anti-Americanism. It's pro-Islamism, which is also quite concerning. And the excuse that is being used on campus to target the Jewish community is a political excuse. So, so often I see in my cases, for example, we sued San Francisco State University. And the facts in that case were that a group of students from Hillel were denied the ability to participate to table at a Know Your Rights Fair because they were Zionist. They were asked a political litmus test. I think, what do you think about the occupation? And if you don't have the right answer, you cannot join. This is a Zionist free uh, uh, environment. And they were the only group, the only group that were denied the ability to table like this. And the excuse is, well, we don't like Israel. So we're going to turn around. We're going to project our hatred of a foreign country on you, students who are you know, not a member of the Israeli government, have no control over Israeli foreign policy, did not serve in the IDF, but we're going to target you because you're Jewish. The equivalent would be something like, you know, I'm angry at China because of COVID. Therefore, I'm going to turn around to the local Chinese American student and discriminate against him or her. Or I'm not happy with Iranian nuclear armament. So I'm going to go to the Muslim Student Association and target them. Everybody would recognize that as pure bigotry. But when it comes to the Jewish community, foreign policy and politics and your opinion about the so-called Israel-Palestine conflict is an excuse to target a Jew. So when we sued San Francisco State University for excluding uh, the Jewish students, what was so interesting is that the school did not deny that the students were excluded. They admitted, yes, they're excluded, but not because they're Jewish but because they're Zionists. And Zionism is a political point of view, therefore we don't have to include you. Well, I'm happy to to say that we ended up settling that case with the California State University system. We were able to rewrite their policy where they recognized that Zionism was an integral part of the Jewish identity. Therefore, if you target and discriminate against a Jewish person because of their identity, because of their religion, because of what they feel about Israel, which is their indigenous homeland, that is a civil rights issue. That is not a political issue. And that is the shift that we need to make, that a foreign conflict can no longer be used as an excuse to target and deny the Jewish community, a minority community, equal protection in our country. So you ask, you know, what is what is new about this round of anti-Semitism, this modern day Jew hatred? It's the use of so-called Israel-Palestine as the excuse. There's always an excuse to Jew hatred. The Nazis, you know, blame the Jews for all these tropes. You know, back in the Middle Ages, they would have different blood libels. The modern day blood libel now are all of the lies that are coming out about Israel and then using that again to turn around to a local Jewish community and discriminate against them. Well, we constantly read about what's going on in academia in America, how it has been hijacked according to reports by the extreme progressive (laughs) left with its anti-family, anti-American, anti-religious ideology. So... 
I mean, it, it's you see it in the Jewish community as you've laid out, but other communities are also complaining that they've been targeted. Yes, it is so scary. And you know, the terminology that we use is so important. The, there is nothing progressive about what is going on right now, about the ideas and the nonsense that is being spread in our society. It is regressive and there's nothing left or liberal about it. I am liberal. I believe in free speech. I believe in a woman's right to choose. I believe in, in gay right. But there's nothing liberal about what's going on today. It's illiberal. And the whole point of this so-called ethnic studies curriculum, where you have ethnic studies departments popping up on campuses around the country, is to pit one American against another because of the color of his or her skin or their religion, and to deny the fact that the Jewish community is a minority community, to engage in cultural appropriation, and to redefine the Jew as white and as an oppressor and as a colonialist. Now, another uh, um, faucet of, of anti-Semitism that we see so many times is what I like to call the mirror effect, the accusation against the Jew of what the Jew hater him or herself is guilty of. The whole notion of Israel as a colonial state is so upside down. First of all, Jews are from Judea. If Jews are not from Judea, which is where we take our name, I have no idea where Jews are from. We are the indigenous population in Judea, Samaria. And to deny that, again, is a form of, of cultural appropriation. Now, the Nazis did not consider Jews white. We were not white enough, and therefore we were slaughtered. And now this whole perversion that the Jew, which has Middle Eastern roots, is all of a sudden a white colonial oppressor, that's the accusation of what really the Jew hater is guilty of. The hundreds of millions of dollars coming from the European, still colonialist states into the Middle East, the millions of dollars coming from the European colonial oppressors into the Middle East, pitting one brother against another, funding terror, the European money and also the US money going towards Hamas, going towards the Palestinian Authority, going towards the education of Muslim children towards violence and hatred, this is the true colonialism. The reason we have conflict in the Middle East is because first Germany came in and taught uh, the population their, their version of, of Nazism and stoked the fires. And now we have Europe coming in and funding a proxy war, a conflict in the Middle East. Take us to the situation in New York because your group has been active on many high profile cases especially during the COVID pandemic, and then more recently in NASA, and then there was also uh, a project which you have promoted, uh, End Jewish Hatred Day. Sure, I, I can start with End Jew Hatred. So it was so interesting during COVID, I, I did a study. I was actually on maternity leave. I had given birth to my third son, who is now two years old, thank God. And um, I was seeing the rise of minority rights movements, Black Lives Matter, the new women's movement, LGBTQI+, and all of my Jewish friends who otherwise were hashtagging Black Lives Matter or they're marching in the women's uh, parade and, and the women's march, which 
I refuse to because I would never march behind Linda Sarsour and Tamika Mallory, who, you know, Linda Sarsour is like a modern day Islamist Nazi. I don't understand how, how she could possibly represent women's rights. Um, but they were doing this nonetheless. And there was this, you know, cognitive dissonance. But when I asked them to post something that's pro-Jewish or pro-Israel, there was a reluctance to do this. So I didn't understand why is it that the Jewish community is always marching for others? Why are we involved in the, in the Black civil rights movement? Why are we involved in, in the gay rights movement? But they're not for marching for ourselves. Where's Jews for Jews? Where is that movement? And I did some research and I realized there has never been a Jewish civil rights movement in America, ever. Hmm. There's again, there was Jews for the Black civil rights movement. There was the Soviet Jewry movement, which for a hot minute brought lots of Jews out on the street to advocate and successfully advocate for Jews living in the Soviet Union abroad. There's the Zionist movement, which has started to create uh, a a homeland for self-sovereignty in our indigenous country. But there's never been a civil rights movement that advocates for Jewish people as a minority community in the United States deserved of equal protection. So about a year and a half ago, we launched the End Jew Hatred Movement, a grassroots civil rights movement in the United States that has nothing to do with foreign politics and is completely centered on the rights of the Jewish community as a minority community. And so we have had many actions during the COVID uh Uh, when COVID was really bad um, about a year and a half ago, we saw the blaming of the Jewish community, particularly the Orthodox community, and the calling out, illegally calling out of the Jewish community by government officials, claiming that Jews were spreading COVID. This is a blood libel. The spread of COVID, number one, within minority communities, all minority communities was high. And yet the spread of COVID within the Black minority community and the Asian community were both two times higher than the spread of COVID within the Orthodox community. And there was this targeting and singling out that was almost medieval. It was archaic. So we had an action. We had a big protest in New York that brought lots of people out on the street and eventually... Uh, Cuomo apologized for those comments that he made targeting the Jewish community, but it was it was too late. We also see right now what's happening at CUNY campuses, the City University of New York. It is, I don't have any other word to describe this other than disgusting. This is a pure example of systemic bigotry in the academia. There are uh, groups like the Progressive Faculty Caucus there. Um, there are uh, academia um, who are teaching such a skewed version of history and um, who are facilitating an extreme hostile environment against Jewish students, against Jewish, teach- Jewish teachers at the school, so much so that one of the students has threatened to light the uh, shirt on fire and went went with the lighter and threatened to light a shirt on fire of, of a Jewish person because the shirt said IDF on it, um, which is the Israel Defense Defense Forces. This same student was then chosen to be the class valedictorian at CUNY's law school. And during that speech, not only did she go on a tangent, an anti-Zionist tangent attacking 
the Jewish community, but she also claimed that CUNY was training the next generation of lawyers to go on the offense and to engage in anti-Zionist activity. Now, Zionism, you know, anti-Zionist is just another way for saying anti-Jewish. And it's another way that the the anti-Semites are covering their bigotry and hatred by pretending like this is some sort of political issue, which it's not. It's a civil rights issue. Where are we at with the Cooney situation? Because that made headlines and um, it, it's controversial and it's the way you've laid it out. It's pretty disturbing. Have things settled down? Has there been any resolution? Has City Hall got involved? Are Jewish students, do they face any kind of imminent threat? Jewish students are, are being threatened every day on, on CUNY campus. We, I want to really give credit. Um, you asked, where are we at? Finally, we have members of government, elected officials who are paying close attention to what is going on because this is our money. It's taxpayer money that's going towards funding these campuses. And Councilwoman Inna Vernikov has taken it upon herself to champion this cause. And she is doing a wonderful job. She just held an unprecedented seven plus hour hearing at City Hall, where there was an open invitation to Jewish professors and students from around the country, frankly. It wasn't even just focused on CUNY, though CUNY, there was a big focus. And I encourage everyone to go listen to the testimony about what is happening there. It is horrifying. She did a big press conference that I attended on the steps of City Hall to raise awareness about this issue. And I know that the mayor uh, has expressed concern and she's been meeting with the mayor's office. And we also represent a professor, Jeffrey Lax, who has brought a series of, of legal actions against the school. Um, and in an attempt to, to seek justice there, to bring justice for the community. And obviously with the legal system, unfortunately, things take an incredible amount of time, but I really have to give him props because he is so strong and he perseveres and he's currently existing on these campuses and he is a, a target of vicious attacks. He, he had his tires slashed at one point, um, signs, uh, going in on his office and being attached to his car. You know, we saw, for example, this whole notion of flyering, anti-Semitic flyering is becoming very popular in different areas in Nassau County. We just saw over the past week, um, anti-Semitic flyers spread in people's neighborhoods. And so I also want to give thanks and appreciation to the Nassau County legislature um, that just declared April 29th to be End Jew Hatred Day, which I believe is the first step when our elected officials recognize there is a problem of declaring a day to eradicate this hatred, this Jew hatred, to recognize it, to, to put it out there, and to declare a day dedicated to focusing on how we can eradicate Jew hatred. Brooks, what's the solution, if you will, to the CUNY uh, controversy? Is it a, a change in curriculum, a change in management, um, change in how things are handled there? It seems like um, quite a tall order. And will you get any if you're, will you achieve any of those goals? 
So this is a very, very good question because when you have a problem that is so systemic, that is so ingrained into the culture there, what can we do to ensure that the Jewish students are safe on campus and treated equally? And frankly, I think the president of CUNY must go. He needs to. Oh, he must resigned. resign. You're saying you're calling he must for his resign. resignation. Absolutely, absolutely. Have you put Have you put that call out officially? We have. This is a man who, when Ina Council Councilwoman Vernikov was scheduling a hearing and asked him to come testify at the hearing, we had to reschedule the hearing because he said that date didn't work for him. And then when the whole hearing was rescheduled to accommodate him, he didn't show. This is someone who shows such disregard for the taxpayer, such disregard for the Jewish population at his school, who has uh, allowed this environment, this hostile environment to fester. He must resign, number one. And number two, and I think this is a, a very important point to make, anything you know gets taken away from the conversation we have, is that the Jewish community, and rightfully so, but we're very obsessed around funding and organizing to fight anti-Semitism. I think we need to have a shift. Instead of obsessing over fighting anti-Semitism, which also puts us in a defensive position, and also we love to answer the accusations of the Jew hater, the switch needs to be one of Jewish empowerment, mobilization, and unity. The Jewish community is divided. We are divided along religious lines, reform, orthodox, conservative, secular, what have you. We are terribly divided along political partisan lines, and that makes us weak. I'll never forget when the Trump administration uh, issued an executive order declaring that Title VI of the Civil Rights Act, the same section of the Civil Rights Act that is used to protect other minority communities, He declared in an executive order that Title VI of the Civil Rights Act also goes to protect the Jews, the Jewish religion, that religion is included as a protected category in Title VI. It was the Jewish community that came out and criticized Trump because of partisan politics and made silly claims like this is a violation of free speech because the, tr- the trauma that we carry, the intergenerational trauma that we carry from the, the years and years of persecution makes us feel like we can't advocate for ourselves. I had never heard of any minority community coming out and criticizing the application of civil rights law to protect them. Hmm. The same thing when, when, when Trump uh, declared uh, Jerusalem as the capital of, of Israel, okay? Because it was seen, because we were so divided along political partisan lines, the Jewish community could not come out and support this in a unified fashion. Believe me, if Barack Obama or Bill Clinton had followed through on their campaign promises mm. and actually followed the law and moved the embassy to Jerusalem, I would be the first one out there to congratulate them. These are not issues of politics. The protection and minority rights of the Jewish community is not one of partisan politics. So not only do we need to unify across these lines, we need to engage in Jewish pride and empowerment. We need to mobilize. We need to use the tools and tactics of other 21st century minority rights movements, get into grassroots mobilization, go into communities, educate the communities, and engage in direct action 
I hear you saying that unity within the ranks is so important. Mm -hmm. So it suggests to me that it's not a united front. There may indeed be groups within the Jewish community who are work working in opposition to you, as you sort of said there. Well, first of all, the groups that are working in opposition are fringe. Mm. What I'm talking about is the ability of the Jewish community to unify around a single cause. And that cause being to end Jew hatred in our lifetime, regardless of your partisan political affiliation, regardless of whether you're form Orthodox, conservative or otherwise, regardless of what you think about the so-called Israeli-Palestinian conflict, that is irrelevant to the issue of minority rights in America. Mm -hmm. And I'm so pleased to say, John, that the end Jew hatred movement is succeeding in leaps and bounds. It is succeeding beyond our wildest expectations in unifying the Jewish community to mobilize against Jew hatred and to engage in direct actions, whether they're protests or otherwise, to ensure that there are consequences for Jew hatred. This is the shift we need to make. We have to stop complaining about anti-Semitism, you know, writing reports about anti-Semitism, responding to every BDS vote, responding to anti-Semites like Roger Waters and, and Jew haters like Gigi Hadid, excuse me. We need to mobilize and unify and advocate for ourselves. And that is what's going to push Jew hatred back to the fringe where it should be and make it socially unacceptable. And of course, the most or one extremely important part of this is the use of the law to enforce our civil rights, which is what I do as a civil rights attorney at the Lawfare Project. You know, if you think about it, and I'll conclude with this, every right, almost every right that we have in the modern day, you know, whether you agree with it or not, is a product of, of seminal civil rights litigation. Roe v. Wade, for example, women's right to choose, which was just overturned. Brown v. Board of Education, desegregation in schools. This is all product of civil rights litigation. The Jewish community has never had, okay, an active civil rights litigation fund until now. And we need to use the legal system because we exist in a great country where not only are we afforded protections, we are entitled to them. We just have to enforce them in courts of law the way that other minority communities have done. So I'm very proud to have brought over 100 cases in the past five years on behalf of Jewish communities around the world to empower them and to ensure that their civil rights are protected. Hi, I'm Danica Patrick. Watching my nieces grow, play and learn is amazing, but not every child gets to be carefree. One in six kids in the US are hungry. This breaks my heart and it's something that Feeding America is working to change. Each year, the Feeding America network of food banks rescues billions of pounds of good food that would have gone to waste and gives it to families in need. To help, visit feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. And I must mention, Cooney didn't respond to our requests for comment. 
My guest is Brooke Goldstein. She's the founder and executive director of the Lawfare Project, which is on the front lines campaigning against and pushing back against anti-Semitism in our society. I'm your host, John Aidan Byrne. So your group is the Lawfare Project. We live in a very um, dangerous time with economic instability, political instability, polarization, increasing violence on our streets, wars across the globe, uh, Russia, Ukraine, um, and a general sense of unease everywhere. People are anxious and we came out of COVID. Has that played into this rise in anti-Semitism? Because if you look through history where there were those deep bouts of instability, depressions, economic turmoil, the Jewish community were often scapegoated. Exactly. I mean, this has been written about uh, so much. It's just plain historical fact at this point that when there is turmoil, when there is economic issues, it's always the Jew that is scapegoated. You know, the Middle East, the conflict in the Middle East, I think the Abraham Accords, you know, showed this quite clearly. Uh, Peace is possible. Uh, the establishment of another Islamist, Palestinian Islamist state in a sea of failed dictatorships is, is no recipe, is no solution to peace, uh, to the conflict. And yet the, the, the plight of the Palestinian Muslim people at the hands of their own government, at the hands of Hamas, which actively recruits and kills Muslim children as suicide bombers at the hands of the Palestinian Authority, which oppresses its people, oppresses the women, oppresses the gay community there. That is used as an excuse as well uh, to facilitate Jew hatred, to facilitate hatred against the state of Israel. COVID was used by Cuomo, like I said earlier, as an excuse to target the Jewish Orthodox community, accuse them of spreading, uh, which is a blood libel. They come, they, they're always the same um, when it comes to their purpose. But, you know, every generation they rise up, they invent uh, new ways to blood libel the Jewish community and to engage in this pandemic of hatred. And, you know, the question is, as you mentioned at the beginning, is how do we solve this? The only solution that I have, and I'm, again, I'm not a psychologist, but historically what I see is when the Jewish community is unified, when the Jewish community knows who they are, they stand up for their rights, then they make a difference. But when we are divided, we are weak and we are targeted. Your quick take on the situation in the Middle East, reconciliation, if that's the right word, between the Israel and the Palestinian community, will that ever be brought to a harmonious end. There were periods in time where it looked as if a solution had been found. What ultimately is the solution here? So what is the solution in the Middle East? I think it's very simple. I think it's education. The root cause of violence is incitement to violence, is the preaching um, of violence in the mosques, is the funding of violence by the Palestinian Authority, by foreign governments like Iran, like Qatar. There is no reason why the Jews and the Muslims should be fighting. There have been many periods of time where Jews have existed within Muslim societies in in relative peace, even though we were dimmi status, second class Mm -hmm. status. 
If you go to Tel Aviv, if you go to Jerusalem, if you go to any area within Israel, you see brothers and sisters, Jews and Muslims existing together in total peace. The conflict is manufactured. The Palestinian conflict, so-called Israel-Palestinian conflict, and the Palestinian Muslim people have been oppressed by their own governments, which are being funded by European colonial powers in mm -hmm. order to create a false conflict. Now, when I was 20, between the ages of 24 and 26, I filmed the award-winning documentary, The Making of a Martyr. I spent uh, over two years going in and out of Janine, Ramallah, Tulkam, Nabilis. I interviewed leaders of Hamas, the Al-Aqsa Martyr Brigades. We went into kindergartens run by the terrorist group Islamic Jihad, all in an effort to expose what I think is the greatest crime against humanity which is the indoctrination and recruitment of innocent Muslim children towards violence. We exposed the schools that teach Muslim children to kill themselves for the sake of jihad, the cartoons that are broadcast every Friday on Palestinian Authority TV, teaching Muslims to children to engage in violence. This is the root cause of the conflict. When children are no longer taught to hate, but instead are taught to better themselves. When Palestinian Muslim children are taught to become doctors and lawyers, and, and as opposed to become suicide bombers and be used as human shields and engaged in terrorist attacks, that's when we will see peace in the Middle East. And we're also seeing it with the Abraham Accords, as you said, the economic cooperation and entanglement. When societies are reliant on each other economically, the likelihood of them engaging in conflict is drastically less. And that's why the Abraham Accords were so important. And then just quickly on there, the claims by some of these Palestinian leaders and the needs, desires and goals of the Israeli community, can they be reconciled? Is, is some compromise needed or how could it be all sort of brought together? I would answer the same. It's education. We have to raise a generation that is educated towards peace. And the unfortunate situation is that Palestinian Muslim children are taught in their mosques, in their schools, by their religious leaders, by their politicians, on their television, in their radio programs, to engage in violent jihad against the Jews because that is some sort of religious requirement of them. You know, the U.S. funds UNRWA, the United Nations Relief Works Agency, which runs schools in Judea, Samaria, schools that are exclusively for Muslim children. Those schools hire teachers off the Hamas payroll. They invite Hamas's youth wing, Al-Qutla al-Islamiyah, to come into the schools and recruit children for suicide attacks, for terror attacks. The U.S. is funding terror schools in the Middle East with your taxpayer dollars. You are aiding and abetting the premeditated murder of Muslim children by funding these terror schools run by the United Nations. One great step towards peace would be to kick UNRWA out of the Middle East. 
kick the United Nations out of the Middle East. Again, the, the UN in the form of UNRWA is a form of colonial oppression that is murdering, literally murdering Muslim children in an effort to create a false conflict between Muslims and Jews. And then the Palestinian claims of homeland and their political autonomy, how do we address that? Well, there was a, a two-state solution before, and, and people are so uneducated historically that it's really disturbing. When the Middle East was divided up by the League of Nations after World War I, all of the Middle Eastern countries that we know of right now, every single state line that was drawn, except for Israel, is a false line that was drawn by the League of Nations, and they created these Muslim states. And one state, only one state's borders were historic, and that was the border of the ancient homeland of the Jewish people, Israel. And you know, that border included Transjordan, and there was an uproar, and the Muslims did not want a Jewish presence in the Middle East, um, and there was a two-state solution. And Israel was divided in two. And Jordan, the Heshemite kingdom of Jordan, was created as a so-called Palestinian Muslim state, even though the word Palestinian didn't even exist. Palestine was the term that the Romans gave to Judea after the rebellion, the Bar Kokhba rebellion. Jews have been self-identifying as Palestinian for hundreds of years, my ancestors were Palestinian. The Jerusalem Post used to be called the Palestine Post. Our currency was called Pal Palestine currency. When the state of Israel was established, it was changed, it was renamed to Israel. And now, once again, the Islamist population is attempting to claim that Israel must be divided again. And so they invented a, a new exclusively Muslim ethnic population, the Palestinian Muslim. You know, Palestinian is not an ethnicity. It's not a cultural identity. It's a geographic location. It's not Muslim exclusive. So they invented this culture in order to claim parity with the Jewish culture and once again, try to divide the Jewish state to take away from us our indigenous homeland. When all of this historical revisionism and cultural appropriation and, frankly, hate education stops, then we will be able to live in peace in the Middle East. But I'm telling you, the incitement to violence that's coming out of mosques, and it's not just mosques in the Middle East. We're seeing mosques also in North America. The mosques in Europe are preaching death to the Americans, death to the Westerners, death to the white men, death to the Jews. It's not just about the Jews. Like, that's a huge mistake we make, is that we make this so Jew-centric. The issue of Islamism and theological mode, uh, terrorism and incitement to violence yeah. is, is a national security issue. It's not just an, a Jewish yeah. issue. Yeah, yeah. it sounds to me there's some naivety in circles and in many influential and sophisticated circles in America as regards that incitement to violence. It's quite shocking. I totally agree with you on that. A quick wrap-up. We're almost out of time, uh, Brooke. Tell us about the Lawfare Project real quickly. You're based in New York. How do people reach you? Thank you for just laying everything out. Fascinating. Thank you again for having me and for focusing on these issues. 
I run a Jewish civil rights litigation fund, and we support impact litigation on behalf of Jewish communities around the world. We have a network of over 500 lawyers. We've brought over 100 cases in the last five years in over 18 different jurisdictions. And the goal is to empower Jewish communities and provide them with pro bono legal support and financial support when they have been targeted in order to enforce their rights in courts of law around the world. And I encourage everybody to go to our website. It's thelawfareproject.org, spelled L-A-W-F-A-R-E, thelawfareproject.org. Click on the cases link and you can see um, all of the incredible groundbreaking impact litigation that we do. Brooke Goldstein, thank you for being on my show. You are listening to Dig Life Deep with John Aiden Byrne. You can reach the host in the U.S. at 973-529-4699. That's 973-529-4699. 973-529-4699. Email burndesk at gmail.com. That's burndesk, B-Y-R-N-E, desk at gmail.com burndesk at gmail.com. Subscribe for free.